0: Good morning, church. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and we're glad in it. And this is a beautiful morning, and I hope you're doing okay. Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so glad you're here. My name is Greg Paris, and we uh, we've already had a blessed time, haven't we? It's already been beautiful. So, welcome to Union Chapel. We're so glad you're here. And uh, as you know, we've been in a series out of the book of Habakkuk on hope. Hope isn't just a piece of the pie. Hope is the pie. Would you agree? None of us can go on another day without hope. We all need hope. And so we're trying to discover that God is good even when life is not. And we're using the book of Habakkuk as our guide. And so we go to chapter three. Habakkuk is three chapters long. And we go to the third chapter today. I'm going to read in just a moment the first six verses of that chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project the words on the screen. Let me remind you that Habakkuk prophesied to Israel uh, about 600 years before Jesus. And so he, he did things a little bit different. Most of the traditional prophets in Israel spoke on behalf of God to the people. They'd hear a word from God and then say, This is what God says to us. Habakkuk put it in reverse. He spoke to God on behalf of the people. He didn't think God was handling his nation as well as he could. Uh, it, it, the nation had been prosperous and blessed, but now it was uh, being cursed and, and corrupt, and it was very difficult days, dark days, and it was confusing for Habakkuk, because what he thought about God wasn't lining up with what he was seeing with his eyes. What he believed to be about, true about God wasn't happening in his nation, and so he was, he was upset by it, and distressed by it, and filled with doubt. So the book of Habakkuk is real, it's honest. It's raw. It, it takes us emotionally right down to where we live sometimes, and we can connect with it. And so, and so today we want to pick up the story, as I mentioned, in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can begin at verse 1. Our custom is to stand as you're able to hear God's Word. And so here is Habakkuk the prophet, chapter 3 and 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiga Onoth. Shiga Onath. everyone say that with me, Shiga onoth. one more time, Shiga onoth. You did not just curse in church, don't worry. This is, a, this is a word I'll define for us in just a moment. Shiga onoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth his splendor was like the sunrise rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden plague went before him pestilence followed his steps he stood and shook the earth he looked and made the nations tremble the ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed but he marches on forever and may god inspire and instruct us through his word today you may be seated. Thank you so much. In chapter 1, we find Habakkuk wondering. He's wondering out loud. Why is this happening to us? God, you could be doing something about it, but you choose not to. This is confusing to me. When, when you have the ability to inter, intervene in our lives, why don't you? What, what is going on? And so Habakkuk is filled with questions, the why questions of life. All of us struggle with. All of us encounter. Then in chapter 2, we find Habakkuk waiting. He, he uses phrases like, God, how long? How long are we going to have to wait? How long are we going to have to delay an answer to our prayers? And and, and so he concludes, though it linger, wait for it. Though, it. though it linger, wait for it. We discovered the timing of God is very, very important. If, if it's not God's time, you can't force it if it is god's time you can't stop it and so so we learned a lot about god's timing and so it requires patience patience for us to wait now we come to chapter three and chapter three now seems to have a change of tone there's a little different theme here and and we can pick up that theme again habakkuk is still in his agony he's still disappointed the Babylonians are coming against them to pass judgment on them. And so the enemies are winning. He's filled with this disappointment and confusion and this doubt. But then the last verses of chapter 2, he reminds us, but the Lord. Remember this phrase? But the Lord is in his holy temple. In other words, God, I can't, tra- I can't track what you're doing. I don't understand what's going on, but I choose to trust you. I choose to see the best in you. I I choose to believe that you're still good. And I still choose to believe that you are in control. But the Lord is in his holy temple. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. He's still in charge of the world. Let all the earth keep silent. Now we come to this third chapter and the first verse again a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiga Onath. Shiga Onath. I'm going to say it one more time just for fun. Shiga Onath. Maybe shake it a little bit when you say it. Shiga-onaf. Oh, this is getting close to the, getting close to the meaning. The, the meaning of this word is actually instructions that a song leader or a worship leader might give to the congregation about how they are to sing a particular song. For example, if, if the song is very intimate and loving, then the leader might say, this is a love song to God. And so sing this song from your heart to God in a loving way. Or the song leader may say, this has got more hip hop to it. And so maybe you wanna move your feet a little bit or clap your hands, or, 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 or maybe it's, it's, it's got more pop to it. And so maybe you wanna move your feet a little bit when you sing it this way. Uh, or the worship leader may say, now this next song is all out. So everybody needs to do the floss. You know, <laughs> when you sing this one, we need the floss which needs some practice, I understand. <laughs> so here's the definition of Shiga Onoth. Put it on the screen. It means to sing with strong emotion, with impassioned exuberance. It means wild, passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm. It means high spirited praise, vigorous enthusiasm. So there it is. It's all out, it's all in kind of worship. It's exuberance to the nth degree It's giving it all we've got in worship and praise. That's Shiga Onoth. And so keep that in mind. Uh, It's praise with exclamation marks punctuated at the end. It's all about that. So if you want to understand about Habakkuk in chapter 3, he's doing this full body, all in, exuberant worship to God before God did what he wanted him to do. Now, did you hear that? He's going all in with his worship and praise before he sees evidence of God's activity. Let me put this statement on the screen. Sometimes the most passionate authentic praise is actually the praise before the provision. Now let that soak in, let it sink in. That's critically important. It's it's praise simply based on our faith. Remember last week, the righteous person will live by their faithfulness. The righteous will live, the just will live by faith. And so by faith, we worship God. It's it's not that we're seeing anything. There's no evidence that God has begun to move. There's no indication that God is answering our prayers. We simply, by faith, begin to praise him. It's praising God, not for the what, but for the who. It's, It's not for what. God has done, but it's for what we believe God is going to do. It's praise simply for the character of God, his goodness, his mercy, his nature, his goodness, his glory. We praise God for who he is in spite of the circumstances. Now, listen to me. This is not intuitive. This sometimes wouldn't feel right. It doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem reasonable to engage in a worshipful, attitude toward God when things are so dark and so disappointing. There's a beautiful story in Acts chapter 16. This is where Paul and Silas have been preaching the gospel and they, they help a little girl. She's a, she's a little fortune teller on the street and and she makes her living this way by telling people's fortunes. And she starts uh, shadowing these guys as they're going through the street, offering Christ to people. And she's a, she's becoming annoying. And she keeps screaming out at the top of her lungs, these men are servants of the most high God. Well, now that was true, but it was getting on their nerves, you know, too much attention. And so Paul finally just spins around and says to this spirit, because apparently she had a spirit, a demon in her. And he says to the spirit, come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. And the spirit leaves her and she's made whole and she's a better person. And, And Paul and Silas, so this causes all kinds of commotion on the street. The magistrates find out about it. And the Bible says that they stripped them and flogged them, had them flogged and then thrown into prison. The magistrate says to the prison guard, put these guys in chains and don't let them out. So they take them to this inner prison. They shackle their feet to the walls of this inner prison. And it's horrible. And it's midnight now. And Acts 16 reports it's midnight. Here's Paul and Silas, they've been beaten. Beaten up, roughed up really harshly, and they're they're in this dungeon, chained to the wall. Now, what do you suppose they're doing? Would you say they've just had a bad day? Would you say they could be discouraged? Would you say they could, might, could be confused? hey, look, I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do. I was was following Jesus. We helped this little girl today. I mean, she was all clogged up and now she's free. This is amazing what God did. And and this this is the payment we get. This is what happens when you serve God. And you could hear them making excuses or threatening to give up or complaining about their circumstances. What are they doing? We know what they're doing. Acts 16 tells us. At midnight in the prison it says they are praying and singing hymns to god now they're not just praying to each other you know under their breath and lord please help my brother silas you know he got beat up pretty good today he's pitiful help him out no no they are praying and they are singing with with such energy Shigaonoth, that everybody in the prison hears them the the, the gatekeeper, the prison warden, he's hearing them, and he's moved by it, and everybody's touched by it. And sometime after midnight, God causes an earthquake, shakes the foundations of this prison, and all the chains on all the prisoners in the in the prison fall off, and all the gates, all the doors, <laughs> fly open. When the when the when the guard comes and finds out about this, he he pulls his sword. He's going to fall on his own sword because he knows. He'll be put to death for letting all these prisoners escape. And Paul calls out and says, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. He gets this torch and he goes into this inner prison and there they all are. They're still there. Their chains are off. Doors are open. They're still in the prayer meeting. They're still worshiping. Here's how, here's how the prison official responds. He looks at Paul and he asks this question, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And he did. And, he, and they baptized him right there. And the prison, the prison guard took them home with him that night and fed them and cared for their wounds and set them around the table, had the wife and the kids all at the table and said, tell them what you told me earlier. And Paul preached the gospel to his family and his whole family came to faith. And they were all baptized that night. Come on now, this is a great story. And so in the morning, the magistrates find out that Paul and Silas are actually Roman citizens, and now the magistrate knows he's in trouble for, for flogging and imprisoning a Roman citizen without a trial. And Paul knows this all too well, and so he says, the magistrate says, let those guys go, because in the morning, Paul and Silas went back to the prison with the warden, and the magistrates, let those guys go, and he wanted to release them quietly so he didn't get in trouble, and Paul sits there, and he goes, no, no. Magistrate's in trouble, not us. You send the magistrate down here personally and tell us we can go free, or I'm gonna I'm gonna press charges against the magistrate. Now Paul is feisty, but here's the learn, here's the lesson. In the midst of a dark day, a difficult time, a disappointing moment, here's a model for us to follow, which is in the midst of a hopeless, dark, confusing, doubting time. This is the perfect opportunity to shiga onoth. To give god praise to worship him not because of the circumstances not because of something he's doing that you can say i can finally see light at the end of the tunnel that's not the case here with hezekiah it's dark and getting darker but he chooses to praise something going on here now something going on if you'll follow it if you'll hear it look at verse 2 lord i've heard your fame I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. The song we've been singing during this season, this series, I love it so much. I've seen you move, God. Come move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You you made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. Isn't that great? See, life can be good. Life can be blessed. Life can be prosperous. And then something bad can happen. You can lose your job, or you get bad news, or you're praying for something, and God doesn't answer the prayer. You you feel like you need something, and God doesn't provide it for you. And you experience what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. And when people enter into a crisis of belief, and we all do, everyone does, a crisis of belief. We have these options. And some people, you know, who, who believe they're Really strong Christians and self-aware, they actually live in some state of denial. Well, it's not so bad, you know, it'll probably go away soon. And, and you know, God, God is good, you know, well, I want to believe that. And, and so maybe this isn't so bad. When it's really bad and you ask a person like this, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm blessed, you know, God, God is good <laughs> all the time. It's not good. It's bad. So you don't live in denial. Face into it. Lean right into it. Deal with it. That's what grownups do. That's what people who are self-aware do. This is people who are authentic, don't live in denial. But another option that people choose is to just turn their back on God and run from God and give up on God. Well, if this is what it means to serve you, if this is what you get for trying to do the right thing, then you can keep it. I tried to pray, I tried to serve, I tried to worship, I tried to give up my best, I tried to live a, a good life. And this is what happens to me, well, you can just keep it, God. And and so people every day say, screw it, I'm out. And these are the options that most people choose. But there's a third option. There's a better way. And we've been learning this in this series. And I want to reiterate it again today because this is the best way. This is the better way. This is God's recommendation to us when we find ourselves in these bad moments. And that is to realize that it's possible, watch it now, it's possible to wrestle with God and to embrace a meaningful faith at the same time. It's possible to grapple with God and push back on God and and even express your pain toward God and anger toward God and resentment at God. And at the same time, embrace a meaningful faith to hang on to the goodness of God, even in the midst of a dark time. Do you have ears to hear that? So important that you get it. So I have two things that we learned from Habakkuk today. It's so on your outline, here's the first thing. It's very simple. This is what you do when you're in the valley. The first thing is this, simply remember. Remember. Now, what do I mean? Verse three of our text says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. Now, when you read that, you may just course over these locations, but these Locations of Taman and Mount Paran are critically important to Habakkuk because these happen to be the two locations that the nation of Israel found refuge in immediately after they were extricated from Egyptian bondage. Moses led the nation, the exodus out of Egypt, out of 400 years of slavery. And when they were first freed from Egyptian bondage, this is the place, the physical place that they went, Taman and Mount Paran. And so this was a place of refuge. And so Habakkuk is referring to this now. He's remembering, think about this. God sent sent miracles and, and, and signs of power onto Egypt and God turned Pharaoh's heart and God parted the Red Sea. We walked across on dry ground. He drowned our enemies behind us. He took care of us. He vanquished our enemies. He was faithful, he was good. And I believe he can do it again. He was good once and he'll be good again. And so he's hanging on to that. Look at verses four to six. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. He's talking about the Exodus now. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Habakkuk is remembering God provided manna from heaven, meat from the birds, water from a rock. Uh, he shut the mouths of, a, of hungry lions to preserve the life of Daniel. He, he preserved the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, heated seven times hotter than usual. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the only thing that burned away from them were their fetters. And they came out and they didn't even smell of smoke. A miraculous provision of God. Sometimes when you're in the valley, When you're in the valley, you just simply have to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And we can all do this. You have, you can reminisce. You can remember what God has done for you. Think about those things. When you, when you're in a dark place, when you're in the valley where you're, where you're confused and you're full of doubt, remember the faithfulness and goodness of God. When I do this in my life, I think about my wife, Beth. I think about marrying her And what a blessing that has been in my life, how good God has been in that. Think about raising our two sons, how good faithful God has been. I've not told you the story about our youngest son, Isaac. When he was 16, he had just gotten his driver's license and gotten his first job. It was up at the golf course in Eaton. And I bought him his first car. And this was an an old timey car, big, heavy car. Uh, I don't know about raising girls, but I do know about raising boys. My instinct was right. When I when I imagine that it's not if these boys are going to run into something with these cars, it's just a matter of when they're going to do it. So I bought them both big tank. The first car I bought for Aaron went from zero to 60 in about four miles. I mean, you just had to work yourself up. And the same thing was true with the car I bought Isaac. Big chrome bumpers, you know, on the front. You can see those cars in museums now, and they're just they were just beefy. Well. He got this job and he had to get up early and it was his you know, newly licensed and first job and he had to get to the golf course early. And I said, well, all right, this is your responsibility. You got to get yourself up, feed yourself some breakfast, get yourself to work, get busy. That's what real people do. And so it was the first week and he had gotten himself up, got everything ready, got in his car and he was headed north on Highway 3, State Road 3 up to Eaton. And it was before seven o'clock in the morning and the phone rang, I picked up the phone, it was Isaac. He said, dad, I've, I've had an accident. I said, are you okay? He said, I'm okay, he said, I think I'm all right. I said, what happened? He said, I fell asleep driving to work. Now, in case you didn't realize this, your driving skills actually go down dramatically when you're asleep. You're a much better driver if you're awake than if you're asleep. Eyewitnesses said it was a single car accident, thankful for that. Eyewitnesses said as he was going north, a car coming south in the other lane, he said he fell asleep and he drifted left of the center and just narrowly missed a head-on collision, going at speed. He then rolled all the way to the left and went into the ditch on the left side. He's still at speed. He rolled in the ditch for a few hundred yards. Must have been really tired. He's still asleep until he gets to a little culvert and an embankment uh, for the driveway of a home there. And so he, his car launches off of that embankment and he goes square nose first into a utility pole, which uh, caused a sudden stop. And this utility pole, I don't know if you've ever seen someone hit one or you've hit one yourself. It's a tree. They don't give. Well, Isaac sheared this pole off about four feet off the ground. It was sheared off. And then again, about 12 feet, he, he sheared it off there. So he took a whole section of this utility pole. It completely crushed the front end of this big, heavy car, pushed the bumper, you know, just pushed the motor in a V shape, uh, clear through the firewall. The motor was protruding into the, into the, into the compartment, passenger compartment what was left of the utility pole at the top then fell on top of the hood of the car and just completely crushed down the, the top of the car. Isaac, now awake, said that he unbuckled his seatbelt, wearing his seatbelt, unbuckled his seatbelt and opened the, the, the driver's side door, the only door that would open now in the car, and he stepped out and he didn't have a scratch on it. So when I got there, I'm looking at this car, which is carnage. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just folded up. And this utility, you know, the whole thing, police, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm standing next to Isaac and I'm trying to get my mind around this moment. Here's the car. Are you sure you're okay? He said, I, I think I'm fine. <laughs> and he was, he's perfectly fine. He did not have a scratch on him. We pause and think about those things and you just give thanks. Just give Thanks. God for your goodness, God for your faithfulness. Now here's a little antidote, just FYI, heads up. Something I learned in that whole episode was if you knock down a utility pole, the utility company will send you a bill for that pole. Just so you'll know. I was surprised to get that. And I painfully paid that as well. By the way, I grabbed grabbed the, the title to the car on the way out of the house that morning anticipating a mess and I was right when the car was totally demolished and so a tow truck pulled up and I walked over to the tow truck guy and I said would you exchange uh, a free tow for this title and he said I would and so I just signed the car over to him and he hauled it away I owned it about a week yeah it was short I, I didn't have any emotional attachment to it it was easy to let it go so anyway raising kids but we remember these things and we hang on to those moments. So what do you do? What do you do when you're in the valley? One of the things you do is you remember. You reminisce about the goodness of God. Now here's the second thing, write this down. We're back to a word that we've used before and it's the word embrace, embrace. Now this is different than enduring when you're in the valley. See, enduring is, is kind of a passive response to something that's happening to you. But we, we don't just endure. When we're going through the valley, we want to embrace. We wanna believe that God is still good. Habakkuk's in this situation. He feels like the enemy, the Babylonians are winning. And he was right. Things are dark and they're getting darker. Things are bad, they're getting worse. And this is this is reality. And so he, he looks right into this situation and he recognizes what is, And he wants to believe, he wants to declare that God is still on the throne, that God has always been good and that God will be faithful. I've preached many funerals in my time, probably hundreds. And I don't suppose there's any kind of way that people die that I haven't preached a funeral. Every time I've preached a funeral in my career, I have always begun my comments by including this statement. Even in the context of death, God is worthy to be praised. Even in the context of death, God is worthy to be praised. Is that true? It's true if the best is yet to come. No matter what, the best is yet to come. If that's true, then even in death, God is worthy of praise. I preached a funeral memorial service for a young man who was a a family member of parishioners who died in 9-11. He was in the North Tower. We think that he was on the floor that took a direct hit from the first plane that hit the North Tower. Completely gone, completely disappeared. Not not any, any sign of him was found. We had his memorial here. He was a loving son. He was a good brother. He's a good friend. And I stood up that day and said, even in the context of death, God is worthy to be praised. I remember a a young couple, they were expecting their first baby and they were so happy, they were so thrilled and they found out they were having twins. And this little mother, first time mother, carried these babies all the way to the end of the gestation period and something happened to those babies. We still, we never knew what happened, but she delivered those babies stillborn. They died the day before they were gonna deliver there we are at the funeral, at the graveside. I can still visualize those two little boxes. So sad. So sad. But even in the context of death, God is worthy to be praised. Because as it turns out, God has already gone before us in death. And he's defeated death. And death no longer has sting or bitterness toward us. Because death has been done to death by the victorious work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his glorious resurrection. So even in the context of death, we can say without hesitation with it, we we don't even have to blink. We can say the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come because God has in store for us things that we have never imagined, thought or dreamed. God is a good God. And ultimately he will be faithful to every promise he has made to us that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And the one the one who has promised to be with us and never forsake us is good to his promise. And so we look to him, and he's a good God. And so we embrace him, even in the midst of the pain, even in the confusion, even in the doubt, even in the dark days where it seems hopeless. What I love about this is it's not some sort of stated denial. It's, it's not just pretend it's not true. But it's looking... The bad news in the face and still declaring i still trust my god with everything in me in the back of chapter one he's wondering why god is this happening chapter two he's waiting how long how long do we have to live in this season lord this hopeless time how long do we wait here but now in chapter three verses 16 to 18 he said i heard and my heart pounded my lips quivered at the sound decay crept into my bones And my legs trembled. I mean, these are bad times. These are hard times. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And though the fig tree does not bud, follow this now. There are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Life is bad everywhere I turn. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Do do you see it? This isn't during good times. This is during bad times that I choose to worship him. You might say it this way, though I'm still praying and I'm not seeing the answer. Though we're believing that we're gonna conceive a baby, but we haven't seen it yet. We're struggling. We want to, but it's a struggle. We don't know if we'll ever see it. Though that's happening, right? Or I'm still praying for that job that's gonna provide the kind of benefits that my family needs to move forward in life. Or I'm still praying for that blessing or still praying for that breakthrough in this area of my life in this relationship or or my finances or my career. And it doesn't seem like the, the breakthrough's anywhere close. I'm still praying that my children will come to a meaningful faith in Christ. It seems like the more I pray, the further from God they go. And on and on the stories go. People crying and praying and pleading and crying and begging. And it seems that God isn't responding. But then Habakkuk says, in the midst of that, look, there are no blooms. There are no blossoms. There are no no sheep in the pen. Life is empty. Life seems hopeless. In the midst of that, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now, Now, listen, there are dozens of reasons why I might not wanna rejoice, but this is not a half-hearted song to God. This is shiga onaf. This is all out. This is giving it everything I've got. This is full body, full soul, everything. So what's he doing? He's wrestling with God. He's contending with God. He's grappling with God. He's pushing back on God. He's, he's agonizing with God. And at the same time, he's embracing God. As I said earlier in a moment in my life, I can remember shaking my fist at God with one hand and hanging onto his ankle with the other. This is what Habakkuk is doing. This is what he's doing. And this is a good way. The first time Beth went through her cancer, she was 35 years old. Our boys were just uh, grade school. And it was so, so, debilitating to us. It was so distracting and so disappointing. And I was so angry and so hurt and so confused. And Beth not only had surgery, but she went went through radiation at the time, which was very intensive. And she also did six months of chemotherapy every two weeks, two weeks on, two weeks off for six months. It was, it was arduous. It was, it was awful. She was sick all the time. She tried to sleep as much as she could because she felt so bad and I was home as much as I could, watching after the boys and I was back here trying to do the work here and, and we were just managing. And, and as time went on, it got worse. It just seemed like it got darker. And as some months had passed, I remember going home one afternoon and I walked in the house and the boys, you know, were kind of unruly and, and, and discombobulated, you know, they were both afraid and confused, and didn't know what to do and their mom was in there you know, trying to manage them and, and be in the restroom at the same time, coping with the effects of chemotherapy. And it was just one of those, you know, you, I went home and there it was. And it was, just, it was just dark and it was just heavy. And it just felt bad. And it just felt hopeless in the house. And so I, I, I called out to God. I said, Lord, I, help me know what to do. Help me know what to do. And for the first time in months, this thought crossed my mind. It had never occurred to me. Now, it's, we find it in the scripture. We're learning about it today. And we find it in many places in the scripture, this admonition that God is worthy of praise no matter what. Whatever context you find yourself in, God is worthy because of who he is. And so God said, why don't you try to praise me? And I, my first blush, I went, yeah, okay, you're right. Sure thing, I'm gonna do that. It didn't make any sense. It didn't seem right at all. But the impression came a little more, he said, no, no, I'm either worthy of praise or I'm not. I can either be trusted or not. I am who I say I am or I'm not. And so there, you know, it just, there was reinforcement behind it from that perspective. And I thought, okay, I, I don't like this. I don't want to, I don't feel like it. I, there's nothing about my circumstances that incline me to this, but I think, okay, I'll try it. And so I just began to worship God. Here's what I discovered very, very quickly that God actually does inhabit the praise of his people. That God actually comes and settles down in the midst of the, of the praise of his people. God shows up. Let me tell you something, wherever God is, that's a good place. You may be in a dark place, you may be in a difficult place, but if you can get God to show up there, that'll help. And that day, from that day forward, I learned that embracing God by faith and to worship him for who he is, I don't have to give him thanks for everything going wrong, but I can worship him for who he is. I remember his goodness and faithfulness. I can worship him for you who he is. And in the midst of that, I can receive hope. I can be filled with hope. I said it earlier, hope is not just a piece of the pie. Hope is the pie. Hope is everything because you can't go one more second, one more day, one more step without hope. We all need hope. And I'm telling you here today in the authority of the Scripture and the Word of God and the experiences of Habakkuk and others that if you will remember the goodness of God in your valleys and if you will worship Him and give Him the praise that is due not for what you expect Him to do but simply for who He is because He is a great God and He is a good God and the truth is the best is yet to come and if we'll find ourselves Given our all to that moment in worship and praise that the spirit of God, the presence of God will settle down in the midst of your life and you will find the hope you need. There it is. 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 is. See, we, we enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him in the valleys. You see, if you don't have the wondering of chapter 1 and the waiting of chapter 2, you can't have the intimacy of chapter 3. Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials because it produces in you perseverance. And let per- perseverance have its perfect result. produces maturity, completeness. And day by day, moment by moment, we are shaped into the image of Jesus Christ and made ready to meet him one day. No happy endings in this series. This is not a sitcom sermon. As we we conclude conclude Habakkuk, things are dark and getting darker circumstantially in his life. But let's end this series by looking at the last verse of the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 19. I'll put it on the screen. Sovereign Lord... The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to tread on the heights. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Because he's the sovereign Lord and he can be trusted and he's the firm place upon which we stand. Amen? Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for how helpful and instructive it is to us. I wonder if you're in the room today and you'd say, Pastor Greg, I'm, I'm there, I'm wondering, I'm confused. I wonder why. Or maybe you're in the waiting zone. Though it linger, I wait for you. That's where you are. Things are not where they want, you want them to be. You're confused. You don't understand God. You say, God, I wish you'd do something different. But at the same time, Lord, I want to continue to embrace you. If that's you, if you're wrestling with God right now, but you still want to embrace him, you still want to find your hope in him, would you just be honest and just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's where I am. I'm wondering, I'm waiting, I'm pushing back, but I want to embrace God and and keep a hold of him. So many, so many, so many. Father, I pray in this moment that we could be given grace to praise you, even though we're hurting Give us the faith to praise you, even when we don't see the provision. God, not just for the what, but for the who. Who you are, Lord. So help us, God, even give us permission. Free us to wrestle, to push back, to cry out. Even acknowledge our doubts, but God, to never let go, because you will never let go of us and you will never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, in moments like these, Thank you for drawing near to us as we draw near to you. We serve you with praise, and we honor your goodness. Now give us grace as we embrace what is before us. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen.